I want us to think about uh, justice today, justice. We're going to be reading out of the Gospel of Mark in a little bit, but before we go to Mark, I want to go to uh, uh, Deuteronomy. We want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 16. We're going to be starting with verse 18. And uh, let me just say that God has many, many qualities. Of course, we've talked about God's holiness. We talk about God's love. We talk about God's mercy. So many qualities. But one of the qualities is that God is a God of justice. The Bible says that he is just and the justifier of those who trust in him. God is not going to ever let sin escape. Everything will be answered for. It will either be dealt with at the cross or it will be dealt with in eternal judgment. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to be born in a manger this next time. He's not coming back to die on a cross and know the shame and ignominious uh, reproach of sinful people. The Bible says he is coming back in flaming judgment to set right all those things that are wrong in the world. And I tell you, there's a lot wrong in there. There's a lot of injustice in the world. When I, when I see uh, the rich taking advantage of and uh, abusing the poor, my blood boils. When I see the strong taking advantage of and abusing the weak, my blood boils. And uh, you think, uh, as the psalmist would pray so often, Lord, how long? I mean, how long are you going to let all this injustice go? And the answer that the Lord gives is that uh, it will not always go on. Every wrong will be accounted for. And, uh, and justice is important to God. Now, it's uh, abused sorely in our world. And in, in many countries of the world where they have even... Uh, certainly they don't have the laws and the protection and so forth that we have in America. There's just unbelievable the abuse that takes place in many of our third world countries. But even in our country, obviously, there is much injustice. And uh, there are a lot of people who are mistreated. There are mistreatment in families, husbands who mistreat their wives, parents who mistreat their children, children who mistreat their parents. Uh, I guess to be fair, I have to say there are some days where wives mistreat their husbands. And, uh, and there are certainly situations where enforcement, law enforcement, which we celebrated last week, may exercise injustice and, uh, and abuse. And all power has the potential, instead of defending the weak, which is what God ordained power to do, All power was ordained to protect and to defend. But if power corrupts, they say absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the more power some people have, the more their wicked heart uh, exercises that power in injustice and abuse. 
But I want you to listen to this passage out of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16, beginning in verse 18. God says to the children of Israel, he's given the law, telling the Israelites how to set up their, their nation. And he said, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. I mean, that's God's design. That's God's intention that all of our judges judge with righteous judgment. And there is nothing more corrupt to me in the world than a corrupt judge. And there are judges who are corrupt. And I tell you, we came here... (laughs) from Mississippi, and uh, now not all judges in Mississippi are bad, but I tell you, Mississippi had a reputation for having corrupt judges, judges that would make judgment based on prejudice and predetermined ideas rather than on what was right and true. And then he says, you shall not pervert justice. Now, it's not one of the Ten Commandments, but this is one of God's commandments. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Boy, it's practical stuff, isn't it? And then the next verse says, justice and Only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. He says that if you want to destroy your land, then you just pervert justice. And you let it get to a point where law is not enforced in a just manner. In Micah 6, 8, we're said... What does the Lord require of you, O man, but to uh, do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? That, uh, that's what God wants in our life. He wants us to be people who are just and honest in our dealings with other people. Now, God is just. And uh, we see his justice exhibited all throughout the Bible. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the justice of God was executed and they were put out of the garden. When the people in Noah's day, the Bible says that in Noah's day, the thoughts and intents of the hearts of man was only wicked continually and God, the patient Loving God, who had sent warning after warning after warning, executed justice and sent a flood. With Abraham, God said to Abraham, The reason I have chosen you is that you might be the father of a nation that would exercise justice. God wants justice in our land. Now, justice... I don't know how you would define justice. Justice, I think, is officially making right decisions regarding wrong behavior. When somebody does something that they're not supposed to do, 
and they are accused and, and caught, then justice tries to determine if they're guilty or not. If they're not guilty, they are exonerated. They are released. They are, they're, they're not punished. But if they are guilty, then there is a price. There is a price to pay. So what hinders justice? Well, in justice, there is to be, as he says there in Deuteronomy, there is to be no false accusation. If, you, if, if there's an accusation brought against someone and it is false, the Bible says back in Deuteronomy, if we read further on there, it said that if a person accuses someone of a crime and they find out that that accusation was false, then the person who made the accusation is to be given the punishment that that person would have been given if he had been found guilty. Isn't that amazing? And uh, so no false accusation. Have you ever been falsely accused of anything? Boy, didn't that hurt? And and sometimes you can't defend yourself. And when you say, I didn't do it, it just makes you look more guilty. That's terrible, isn't it? When I was in the fourth grade, there was a little girl in our class named Marilyn Kirksey, and, and she accused me of stealing her lunch money. One Monday morning, all of us kids would bring our dollar to school on Monday morning. cost a whole dollar to, to pay for your meal for the whole week. <laughs> if you just paid for it day by day, it was a quarter a day, but you could give a dollar on Monday and pay for it for the whole week. So we all brought a dollar to school on Monday morning. We are in class just getting ready to start the day. Miss Hortense, our teacher, was taking up everybody's uh, lunch money and getting everything, getting ready for the day. And all of a sudden, Marilyn put her hand up. Miss Hortense, Miss Hortense, Nikki stole my dollar. And I thought, I'm the only Nikki in the class. And I was sitting right behind her. And, and Miss Hortense came walking back to me and said, Nikki, give her her dollar back. So she just assumed that Marilyn was telling the truth. And I said, Miss Hortense, I didn't get her dollar. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He got my dollar. And she said, stand up, Nikki. Show me what's in your pocket. Well, of course I had a dollar. And I reached in my pocket and pulled out my dollar. And she said, give that dollar to Marilyn. I put it right back in my pocket. I said, no, ma'am. I can't give her this dollar. I, th- I brought this dollar to pay for my lunch and she said give her that dollar or I'll take you in the coat closet and I'll whip you back then teachers could whip students and I and they kind of enjoyed doing it and uh, so I had to think about it for a second I thought now if I don't give her the dollar I get a whipping if I do give her the dollar I don't get lunch Well, that was a no-brainer for me. I said, no way. I'm going to eat lunch. So she said, okay, let's go in the coat closet. And she brought Big Bertha, which was what she named her paddle. And she gave me some powerful licks with that paddle. And I tried so hard not to cry. But, and I tell you, she just finally beat the tears out of me. And I started crying and 
she said, okay, now when you get your face all dried up and everything, you can come back and sit down. And so I, I did. And when I opened the door to come back into the classroom, of course, everybody turned around and looked, and it was made it even worse. And then when I walked up to my seat, sat down very gently, because uh, it was a little hard to sit down right then, Marilyn just looked at me and went, yeah like that, which, <laughs> this was before I was a Christian, and uh, and then she said, uh, Miss Hortense said, okay, let's all get out our spellers, we'll get started for the day, and so we're all getting ready to start it, and all of a sudden, Marilyn puts her hand up, Miss Hortense, Miss Hortense, I thought, oh no, what now, and she said, I found my dollar, it was in my spelling book. Well, Miss Hortense just blew a gasket. I'm telling you, she turned red face and she started hollering at Marilyn and said, Marilyn Kirksey, you mean you made Nikki get a whipping when you didn't know for sure that he had taken your dog? She said, I ought to take you to the coat closet and whip you. And I was going, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was before I was a Christian. And uh, I didn't know about forgiveness and that kind of stuff back at that time. And uh, and Marilyn said, Miss Hortis, don't holler at me. And she said, I ought to do more than holler at you. And uh, But I learned an important lesson that day. I learned, well, I learned several lessons that day, but I learned that you never, ever, ever, ever accuse anybody of anything unless you absolutely know for certain that they did it. And I love to tell the kids, you know, don't ever say so-and-so did something even uh, unless you absolutely are certain that they did it. So no false accusation. And then no predetermination. That is, no having your mind made up before you hear the evidence. I'm telling you right now, across our country today, there are people who make decisions before they ever hear any evidence at all. They've already got their mind made up. They know what they're going to... They've... uh, In in American justice, supposedly a person is always considered innocent until he's proven guilty. But it's so often today, it's the other way around. They're considered guilty until they're proven innocent. Well, that's the wrong way to go. That's the wrong way to do it. So there's to be no false accusation, no predetermination of guilt, no bribery, and no partiality. And nothing to me is more grievous than to know that there are some people, maybe not many, but there's a small percentage of people serving prison time right now who did not commit the crime for which they are serving time. That's a terrible, terrible thought, isn't it? But I tell you another terrible thought is to know that there are some people who committed the crime and because they had money, because they had influence, or because of some technicality, they were allowed to go free and they were guilty as sin and yet they are walking the streets today. Both of those are what the Bible calls a perversion of justice. But 
the greatest perversion of justice of all times is found in the Gospel of Mark. And I'd ask you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. And we will begin reading in verse 53 verse 53 Jesus has been arrested in the garden of Gethsemane and then they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together and by the way there's a book that I read several years ago called The Illegal Trial of Jesus. And it was a pretty thick book. And in that book, it listed like 22 or 23 violations of Jewish law that happened during this time that Jesus was tried. Now, Mark just gives us the bare-bones story of it. If we have to read the Matthew account, and the Luke account, and the John account to get the full picture Uh, Mark doesn't tell us about Jesus being taken to Annas first Annas was the 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 man who had been the high priest for many years and then because they had certain laws not allowing him to serve so long his sons became high priest for several years afterwards and then his son-in-law which is Caiaphas is the is the high priest during his period the whole their their family it's kind of a dynasty of the high priesthood, and it was as corrupt as uh, corrupt could be. And uh, they were in it for greed, very, very wealthy people. They were in it for power, and they perverted justice regularly. They led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests. Now, this is, he's after. He's indicted by Caiaphas, and I mean by Annas. And by the way, Annas couldn't even come up with anything. He had to make up some charges. Then they bring him to Caiaphas, who is the high priest. And uh, Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he's sitting with the guards warming himself at the fire. We'll talk about this more next week. Now, the chief priests... And the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Now look, they weren't trying to determine guilt or innocence. They already had their mind made up. They were, they were determined to kill him. And I tell you, when you go to a... I mean, if you were a judge on a trial, you don't have your mind made up before the evidence is presented. But they did here. And they brought Jesus... The chief priest, the whole council. By the way, they were meeting at night, and the Jewish law said that the uh, council could not meet at night. They were meeting in the wrong place. They were not meeting in the council hall, what you'd call the, uh, what we'd call today the courtroom. And uh, not all of the council was there. No doubt, probably Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were not even invited to come. They just had the ones that they knew had their mind already made up to execute him. And then, but they said, well, now we've got to find testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. 
They couldn't get anybody who would come and say, yeah, he's committed a crime worthy of death. Yeah, he's done this, he's done that. And so there were many who bore false witness against him, but their testimony didn't agree. They said, uh, well, what do you say? Well, I, I heard him say this. And others said, well, I heard him say that. Well, that contradicts what he said he heard him say. So they couldn't agree on their, on their uh, stories. And uh, verse 58, one said, well, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple, which Jesus never said that, by the way. I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another one not made with hands. Well, Jesus didn't say that. He had said on one occasion, if you destroy this temple, speaking of his body, which makes it clear, then I will raise it up after three days. He wasn't even talking about the the temple temple. These people said, well, we heard him say he was going to destroy the temple. Yet even about this, their testimony didn't agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, well, we heard him. Oh, let's see. I said that. Then. Yet even, uh, uh, and the high priest stood up in the midst, and he asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? By the way, he's asking Jesus to incriminate himself, which, again, in law, they couldn't do that. No man could testify against himself. It was part of the Jewish law. It's part of our law today, actually. What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and he made no answer. And then the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ? That is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of the Blessed. They wouldn't use the word God, Jehovah or Yahweh, because that name was too holy for them to speak, and of course here got the hypocrisy of a man saying, I can't even say the name of God, but I can condemn the Son of God to death. And Jesus said, I am. Whoa. By the way, this... I am, ego ami, ami in, in the Greek, is the name, the Greek for the Hebrew, I am who I am. The very name that God gave to Moses when Moses said, when I go to the people, when I go to Pharaoh, and I say, and they say, well, well who sent you? What am I supposed to say? What is your name? And God said, my name is I am, I am. And through the gospel of John, Jesus, uh, John uses that phrase many, many times. And so here, when Caiaphas said, are you the Christ? Are you the son of God? He said, in essence, Yahweh, I am, I am. And, just so you understand a little further, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He said, just so you understand, 
By the way, son of man was the messianic term coming from the book of Daniel and many other places. This was the term. So Caiaphas knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He said, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ, the son of God? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Messiah, me seated at the right hand of power eventually and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments. This was a sign of mourning and grief and anger. He just ripped his clothes. And he said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Now, this is in a court of law. This is the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel. In a false court, trumped up charges, no evidence against him, no witnesses that could corroborate or verify that he had done anything wrong. Later, we're told that even the governor himself, Pilate, after examining Jesus, said, I find no fault in this man. But now these are leaders. These are are the rulers of the nation. And look at how they, they said they all condemned him as deserving death. But listen to the next verse. And some began to spit on him. And to cover his face, put a hood over his face and strike him and say, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Now you think, why such a travesty of justice? And believe it or not, This unjust trial of Jesus happened for this purpose so that Jesus himself could bear in himself the injustice that is rampant throughout all of time, history, and the world. He is able to say to those who are lied about, to those who are mistreated, those who are robbed of their justice, he can say, I bear in myself that very injustice that is happening to you. The Bible tells us in another place that Jesus was tested in all points, just like we are, yet without sin. And thus we have a high priest. We have a high priest, not this high priest, not Caiaphas. We have a high priest, a true high priest, who can be touched with the feelings of what we suffer. 
you will never experience any painful thing in your life that Jesus cannot say, I understand. I know how that feels. And when you are treated unjustly, when you are lied about or lied to or robbed of justice, mistreated in any way, Jesus can say, come to me because I also know how that feels. And in our culture, in all cultures, all human cultures, there is injustice. And I have seen, in my own experience as a pastor, I've seen people mistreated, unjustly treated because of their skin color, because of their ethnic background. I remember going with a lady, a Hispanic lady, to the hospital, taking her to the hospital, and waiting and waiting and waiting, and person after person coming in after her were taken ahead of her. And I I finally went up and said, what is going on here? This lady has been here for three hours. And is it because she's Hispanic that you're seeing everybody else ahead of her? I'm not sure I said it quite that calmly. But I, I think in our world, there is injustice. And we cannot always correct it. But God will correct it. And Jesus himself said, I am taking into myself all the injustice and all of the shame and all of the wrong, all of the betrayal, and I'm absorbing it. And within a few hours... I will be nailed to a cross and all that sin and all that injustice and all that wrong I will bear in my own body on the cross and will make full payment for that sin so that anybody who will put their trust in me can be forgiven, can be received, can be welcomed, and can become a child of God. And that is the gospel. That is the good news that we have today. By the way, all of us have not only been unjustly treated a few times in our life, we probably have also made some unjust choices ourselves. There have been times that we may have accused somebody of something falsely. And there are certainly times that we have been unjust in our judgment of other people. And looking at someone and making a decision about them, 
without even getting to know them, pre-judging them. And there may have been times that we have gone with a crowd or maybe a bribe to make a decision. It was not just. But whatever we've done, that or whatever sin we've committed, the good news, the gospel is this, that he, Jesus, bore, carried in his own body our sins on the cross. And God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us in order that we might be made or receive the righteousness of God. So here's the invitation. God says, bring all your sin and I bear it. Receive all my righteousness as a gift. And then when God looks at you, he does not see your sin, your injustice, your failure, your flaws, your weaknesses, your sin. He sees the righteous covering of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a good exchange? Would you like to have that exchange today? Would you like to be able to come and say, Jesus, I bring all my sin and leave it with you. He says, I take it. I've already taken it. I bore in my body all your sin. And I receive from you, Jesus, your perfect righteousness. He was never unjust. He was never in any way bribed, prejudiced, or perverted justice. And he said the only way you can ever be right with God is by allowing me to take your justice. The, the, the penalty you deserve, I'll pay it so that you can have the freedom that I give. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just tremble when I think about the shame and grief and sorrow that Jesus bore, the injustice that was measured out to him, the lies that were told about him, the accusations, false accusations were leveled at him and for the wrong decisions that were made concerning him and for the hatred and ultimately the crucifixion that was given to him. And yet, while I recognize that as such a horrible miscarriage of justice, I realize that it was for my sake that he went through all that that it was for us that he suffered and that he died and that he rose again. And I pray that if there's anyone here today that has never trusted 
called upon, received, welcomed Jesus as Savior. If this could be the day they would call upon you. And then I do pray for justice in our land. In a land of fallen men and women, I pray that we might see justice prevail. And as we want to see liberty and justice for all, I pray that we'll see that in Jesus' name. you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.